Thank you for joining us today. This is the Living the Question podcast, and I'm here today with my wife, Deb Walrath. I mentioned in the introduction I might be able to interview her because, uh, you know, I've, I've got an inside track, so I can, I can book some of her time. And here she is. So as a way of a brief introduction, Deb is an early childhood education specialist with over 30 years of experience both in and out of the classroom. I'm talking to her today about her background and experience, her views on early childhood education, and what she's working on now. So Deb, tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to be a teacher. Well, thank you for having me, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mother, a friend, a program manager, a teacher. I have lots of roles that I play in my life. Um, the, the, the ones I adore the most are wife and mother. Beyond that, I consider all children who have sat at our table or been in my classroom or in my care as my children. So I have, men, I have two biological children with you and many non-biological children that have accumulated over the years. Great. How early did you know you wanted to be a teacher? What's your earliest memory of knowing that? My earliest memory is in the kitchen in the house where I grew up and my grandmother asked what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, and how old were you then? I was seven mm -hmm. and I remember saying, I don't know. And then she asked if I was planning to go to college and I said, I don't know. And my mom turned around and said, yes, you will go to college. There is no discussion on that matter. So just know right now you will be going to college. Mm -hmm. And so my seven year old little self said, well, if I'm going to college, then I'll be a teacher. And that was the defining moment. That was my calling. Mm -hmm. And everything I have done since then has pointed me down this, in the direction of being a teacher and down this path. All right. I'm not gonna tell you how many years that is, but you've no. already alluded that it's more than 30. Yes, yes. So at well, the very least, I'm 37. Yes, <laughs> wanted to put a little bit of your CV out there, so that's, that's good. <laughs> Now, did you start out teaching very young children? So when we talk early childhood, we're talking three, four, five-year-olds, right? So technically, early childhood is defi defined as zero, firstborn, okay. through eight years old. Okay. Uh, general society thinks about early childhood as preschool. Mm -hmm. so and I'm trying real hard not to use that word. Preschool? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Why shouldn't I use that word? Well, it depends on the context. Uh -huh. um, preschool, that's a complicated conversation. Okay. Uh, there's, there's some discussion about like childcare, daycare, preschool, early learning center, um, and that sort of thing. Um, it depends on what you mean by it and the context that it's taken in. Mm -hmm. What what I put forth is that children are always learning, so the world is their school. Mm -hmm. And uh, daycare is true in the sense that it's care during the day, but taking care of children is much more than just like the common understanding of babysitting, mm -hmm. where you're just keeping them safe. We're always educating. So um, I started out as an elementary school teacher. I have my degree in elementary education. Mm -hmm. 
and taught kindergarten, first grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, second grade. <laughs> um, so I've kind of been all around the primary school. Um, and I did that for about 10 years. And then we had our own children, and I was lucky enough to be able to stay home with them for about 10 years, mm -hmm. which was the best gig in my life. I have never enjoyed a job more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and as our youngest went off to school, it was clearly time for me to go back to work. And I sort of fell into the early education field. Um, I do have my endorsement in early childhood, so I was qualified for that. Mm -hmm. And I started out working at a local little church preschool. And I remember looking at the ad thinking, preschool, how hard can it be? And that was the, uh, the <laughs> that came back to bite me later. Because yeah. the, the younger you go, the more difficult it is, the more challenging it is. So I learned a lot um, mm -hmm. in those few years at that particular school. Um, met some people who truly flipped my understanding of education as being a top-down teacher knows all students need to be filled up do as i say let me show you what you're going to learn and you learn it the way i show you um, to what it means to support learning and there's a vast difference between teaching and supporting learning okay it sounds like you've worked for a few different schools in the past what has brought you to your current job and what is that job? Currently, I'm a program manager for an ECAP program with an agency called Child Strive, and my program is in South Everett. I worked in ECAP about 10 years ago as a lead teacher and then as a program manager and just fell in love with the program. It really serves a vulnerable community and provides wraparound services for families with young children that may not have access to resources if they weren't in this program. Okay, thanks. So in your current job, can you tell me about, can you describe a typical in-person day for your students? Like they're at school, parents have dropped them off. Right, so we have a um, part day program which means that we have two sessions three hours in the morning three in the afternoon and they pretty much mirror each other so the children arrive uh, wash their hand hang up their coats and backpacks and such and wash their hands and sit down for a snack and that's kind of our check-in time how are you doing how is your evening what are you looking forward to today those sorts of conversations mm -hmm. from there um, we do toothbrushing because we want to promote um, good dental health habits. And then they wash their hands again and go to our group meeting time, which sets the stage for what we'll be learning during the day. It's a time to sing together, to laugh together, and for the teachers to share some direct instruction of a variety of topics. Okay. Uh, from there, the children go to what we call free choice time. And there's um, centers set up around the room for language, science, math, fine motor, art, dramatic play, which is also known as imaginary play. Um, lots of things for the children to do, but all of the activities are intentionally provided to promote learning. So some of the centers will be focused on the particular topic 
if we're learning about trees, then um, there might be um, bark and leaves and things of that nature in the nature and science area. Uh, so we have free choice time and then we have lunch and with hand washing again before and after because hand washing is a huge part of our program. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we go outside and play outside for at least half an hour, no matter what the weather is, unless it's obviously like thunder and lightning, then we don't. But um, if it's just a little drizzly out, we go outside and get some fresh air and run around and play. And then the children go home. Excellent. So what has been challenging you now that the schools are closed in Washington State and we have remote learning for all? What's it been like for uh, these kids now? Remote learning is a real challenge for early childhood because the goal of early childhood learning is to figure out who you are as a person in relationship to other people. From zero to three, children are pretty much the center of the universe in their families' homes. And they come to preschool or childcare and all of a sudden they're not the only one. And a lot of social emotional learning takes place, learning how to take turns, wait for a turn, learn your manners, say please and thank you, um, how to wait in line, how to do all sorts of things, how to just interact with other people in a socially acceptable way. It's very hard to teach that from a distance when they don't have other little mm -hmm. ones to practice with. Okay. When we closed our school, our, our teachers um, were able just to spin on a dime and transition into remote learning and use with the use of um, the Facebook platform for private pages so we could have a private group. They figured out how to video record themselves teaching to nobody. Uh, to read stories, to provide activities. We put together materials to send home. And initially our teachers were driving around to 40 different homes to make sure children had their supplies. We were able to provide meals um, and parents would come and pick up meals for their, their children. And then we got the bright idea to send home the bags with the meals and then we wouldn't have to be driving around as much. So it's been a big challenge for early childhood. They, uh, what we hear from the parents is very appreciative of what we've done for them. However, the children really are inside. They've been inside for six months and they need to get out and move. And so we are working on strategies to provide outdoor play in a safe environment. That's kind of our goal for this quarter. Great. Tell me about the feeding program you started up last spring with your cook. The ECAP program requires a certain amount of nutritional advocacy. Mm -hmm. So we make sure we um, provide a healthy snack and a healthy lunch that meets USDA requirements. When the, when the schools were closed, we thought, how are we going to feed these children that are in families who may be losing their jobs, may be losing their housing, because uh, as I said before, we work with a particularly vulnerable population. We had to still meet the state requirements and jump through hoops and whatever, but there were some modifications made through the state that allowed us to prepare meals called grab-and-go. Mm -hmm. And so we could meet all the 
like we have to have a protein and a whole grain and dairy and that sort of thing. We were able to meet the component requirements and send things home for them to eat. Um, and through the grace of Child Strive, they found funding so that not only could we feed the student that's enrolled in our program, but provide lunch for the entire family. And great. we felt really great about being able to provide at least one nutritious meal a day for a family. Mm. Great. Yeah. So I'm going to pivot a little bit here. All right. I'll ask you a question that I didn't prep you for, but oh, I think you should man, be able to answer anyway. It's a good thing anyway. I like you. I know, right? <laughs> um, you've been talking a lot about this thing called conscious discipline for mm -hmm. the last few years. Yeah. And I understand it's going to be taking up more of your time. It is. Here in the near future. Can it you is. kind of give an overview of what conscious discipline is and how it applies to early childhood education? Yeah. So conscious discipline is a positive behavior guidance strategy curriculum program it's based in neuroscience and developmentally appropriate practices and so it really focuses on brain states which means that every behavior is a form of communication and it's important to not only notice the behavior, but then ask what's going on to drive that behavior. And to mm -hmm. understand that, you have to know a little bit of how the brain processes sensory inputs. So there are three brain states for conscious discipline. The base brain state is in the reptilian brain, and that's your basic survival mode, fight or flight, surrender. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, if you feel threatened, if you do not feel safe, you kind of trigger that part of your brain to take over. Um, if, if that part of your brain, if you're in a safe environment and you're feeling pretty good about things, then um, you might be up in your limbic system, which focuses on your emotional response. And so those are all our emotions that we can uh, activate. And also... Um, it's where we go when our parents come out of our mouths, mm -hmm. where, where we react the way that we were raised. Um, and then the third state is um, executive functioning or problem solving. And so it's very interesting to be able to look at people's behavior. Yes, I work with children in particular, but I find that this really applies to everybody I interact with. Um, is where are they in their brain? Are mm -hmm. they feeling safe? Are they feeling connected? Are they feeling um, that the world is going their way and they just want to go play? And what can I do? What can I learn? What can I solve? All that creativity. Um, and so it's been a fascinating thing to learn about. And, it, and there are strategies that go with each brain state so that if a person, let's say, is just really frustrated with something and has sort of what we might say flipped their lid. I know that I can't ask them to tell me your words, use your words, mm -hmm. because their emotions have overridden their executive function and they can't access their language center. So my job then is to really help them feel safe and secure. Like, I gotcha. I can see that oh, you look really overwhelmed and I'd be ha I'm here with you and I care about you and help them feel like they're not alone and they're not, um, over, you know, that they've got somebody who has their back. And if we can get that part calmed down, then we can move up to executive functioning and do some problem solving. 
So it's really great when you have a child who's overwhelmed and hiding under the table um, to be able to say, I'm, I'm, you're safe with me here. Mm -hmm. I'm making sure this is a safe place for you. So when you're ready and you feel safe, you can come out and be with me. And that's the connection part to help them move up to their limbic brain. And then once they are there, then we can move them up to, can you tell me what happened that caused you to want to be under the table? So uh, traditionally discipline has been fear-based. You do that one more time you're going to your room or I'm going to take that away or there's some sort of punishment reward and punishment thing involved right and this removes all that and really focuses on the relationship that you're safe you're connected and we're good and we can we can figure out the problems together okay Um, it's it's a really positive affirming way to be with people wow yeah so we're we're starting to integrate that into our our particular program and I'm working with the county at the county level of ECAP. Um, we're going to introduce it to the rest of the ECAPs in our county and um, and have them implemented as well. Wonderful. Yeah, that sounds it's great. exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I, I know I kind of sprung that on you at the last minute, but I also know you've been talking it up to people for quite a while now. Yeah. Well, uh, it's just a wonderful. It's a great synthesis of things that we already do in terms of um, having a positive environment and you know respecting children's perspectives and um, supporting learning and all these different things. It all kind of conscious discipline brings all that together in a nice little package mm-hmm. and then a structure that makes sense to me mm-hmm. and it makes sense to the people that that I've worked with that are learning about it. They're like, well. I wish I'd known that sooner. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. well, duh. It's, yeah. so, it's so obvious. Why didn't we figure this out sooner? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Well, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. It was, it was a good chat. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you out there for tuning in this week. Uh, we'll have more for you next week when we continue with Living the Question. <laughs>